let me share a few thoughts with you, kind of a, a, different, um, a different direction this evening, but something I think that is needed. You know, there's debates tonight, a lot of tension in our culture. But um, I want to talk tonight uh, a little bit about a biblical theology of joy. A biblical theology of joy. Uh, I read a little story, a true story, of a young girl who her principal was a very joyful man. And here's what she said. The, the girl said this. She said that her principal must go to heaven every night because he's happy. He's so happy every day. And that man was a Scottish minister, and he wrote these words. And you're going to remember these words because there was a song that came out of this. He wrote these words. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of my heart when the king is at resident there, residence there. Remember that? Remember that song? He wrote that song. It has been said that it takes 72 muscles to frown and only 14 to smile. So it's easier to be joyful. Amen. It's easier to smile. One little girl, she was eating her supper and the evening sun was setting and the rays of sun were coming through the window and it, and it fell upon her spoon and she, she ate it. She put it in her mouth. She said these words, Oh, mama, she said, I swallowed a whole spoonful of sunshine. And I think for us as Christians, we ought, to, we ought to swallow a whole spoonful of sunshine. And you say, well, pastor, why is that? Because the Bible says, and you'll remember this, in Nehemiah, the joy, say it with me, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that was in Nehemiah's time. You know, joy makes us strong. And uh, it says in the Proverbs, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Now, do you know what? There's a lot of broken people right now. I've heard, and I don't know this is factual evidence, but I, I just know that all we've been through in the last five months, and hasn't it been a crazy year? I just cannot wait for 2021. I know it's going to be better than 2020, but a lot of broken people today. I think suicide, I've heard, I just heard then. A lot of times you hear something and it's not true, but I've heard mental illness and calls to psychologists on the rise and these things and domestic abuse. And I don't doubt it because we've been through some tough times. Have you noticed there's more people begging on the streets right now in places that I have not seen them begging? And so people are going through a lot right now. But the scripture says here in Proverbs, a merry heart does good like a medicine. In prayer last night, Brother J.R. focused on a scripture. And it's, he read this, and I'll, I'll take this from him. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I'll be joyful in my God. Remember this verse in Philippians? Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. But then he said, and always rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. And then Thessalonians, he said just simply this, rejoice always. Now the truth of the matter is right now, we, we generally live in a very sad world. We live in a fallen world. And our world is acquainted with despair. You don't have to go very far outside these doors. Our world is acquainted with depression. I dare to say everyone in this room knows someone who struggled 
has struggled at one time or another with depression, disappointment. We've all had disappointments, dissatisfaction. There's so many dissatisfied people. There's probably more dissatisfied people than I've ever seen. And that, that it includes the Christian community. And yet there's, the word of God said, I'll be content in, all, in whatever state I'm in. The Bible talks about the contentment of the heart. And that's important that we learn to develop that. There's a longing for happiness. And yet it seems so, uh, so elusive in so many people's lives. Usually life is like this. There's moments of pleasure scattered through pain and sorrow throughout people's lives. And the truth is that many people don't really, they've gotten to a point, they've had so many disappointments, so many discouragements, that they really don't expect their life to change very much. And there's kind of a cloud of hopelessness over them. And I've even seen older people, the older they get, the same, it seems like there's a sense of hopelessness. They've lived a long time, they've had lots of unfulfillment, lots of disappointments, they've lost friends, they've lost loved ones, there's maybe physical pain, physical limitations, and, and it seems like the longer that we go, there can, if we're not careful, we can get into a sense of hopelessness. Now from the world's definition, the, they define happiness kind of like this, an attitude of delight based on, hear this, positive circumstances that are largely out of our control. Did you hear that? Positive uh, or happiness is a, a kind of a spirit or attitude of delight based on positive circumstances which are simply out of my control. In other words, you can't plan it, you can't predict it. It's, it's only when things are good or what we think is good or what we think is favorable. So because it's shifting and it's nothing, it's always elusive. It's always like the carrot on the stick. It's like the luck of the draw. You may get it, you may, you may not get it. But what I want us to see, and those that are joining us online, to understand is this. I am not talking about happiness this evening. Not talking about something that's based on the changing circumstances. I'm talking about spiritual joy. I'm talking about what the Bible says in a broad way, a biblical theology of joy. Happiness and joy are different. Spiritual joy is this. What it's not is, it's not an attitude that's dependent on chance or circumstances. Joy, in a Christian sense, is an abiding confidence. Hear this is an abiding confidence regardless of circumstances in life. And the reason for it is that all is well between me and Jesus. Come on. All is well between me and my Lord. No matter what the difficulty, no matter what painful circumstance I'm in, no matter what disappointment I'm in or failure or rejection or challenge I'm facing, genuine joy is based on that everything is all right in my soul. There is grace in my soul. I am in a relationship with God. And that's where joy comes from. That's where satisfaction comes from. I mean, if we look for satisfaction in the world or from things or from people or from circumstances, we're going to be chasing a phantom. Joy, real joy. Listen, real joy is something we can experience. 
I thought today how that God has given his word to the church. He has not given it to some professor at some college that's in some room that's never had to bury anyone or marry anyone or be with someone who's died or go through a painful circumstance. Thank God for the scholars, but God has given his word to the church. And that's where it needs to be. I'm talking about something that we can experience, not something in a classroom, but something that works in your life and something that works in my life every day. The scripture is very clear that joy, lasting joy, comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah says this, therefore with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. Joy is not based on changing circumstance. Hear it again. It's based on salvation found in Jesus Christ. Now, in a biblical theology of joy, what we realize is as we look to the Word of God, you could just get a strong concordance out. Everyone should have a strong concordance because the strong concordance you can get for eight bucks, maybe, or less, or ten bucks. And it has where every word in the Bible is. And it's categorized. You can find it. It's a very wonderful, wonderful thing. And because there's so many that have flooded the market, it should cost $500 because it's like this thick, but you, you know, it's, you know, you can get it for eight bucks wonderful every Christian should have one what we know is this that this this joy is it's an important theme throughout the word of God in in the New Testament the verb harrow is used 96 times 96 times in the New Testament and that that includes the greetings too kara or hara is used 59 times you know, whether joy or whether it's termed as rejoicing. You know, as you, even in the little book of Philippians, that is the epistle of joy, it's found 13 times. 13 times. Joy is pervasive. Joy is something that the Lord wants us to experience. So what, what are we, we going to learn about joy tonight? There's several, just several thoughts that I want to bring to you. And first of all is this, is simply this, joy is a gift from God. You know, God is full of gifts. I'm telling you, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of light, whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. He is a gift giver. Salvation is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Healing is a gift. There, in fact, in healing, there are gifts, healing, gifts of healing. They're plural in the, in the gifts there. God is full of gifts. And one of the wonderful gifts that he wants to bestow upon every child of God is the gift of joy. Joy is a gift. Listen to what David says. I'm going to read this whole psalm. I'll read a couple of verses here and comment on them. But Psalm, look at this. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says this. You have put gladness in my heart. Now focus on that. You have put gladness in my heart. More than in the season that the grain and the wine increase. In other words, harvest comes in and everybody rejoices in harvest and but he said, you put, joy, you put joy in me more than when the harvest and the wine increases. I, have both, I both lie down in peace and sleep. You alone, O oh God, make me dwell in safety. God, put, God See, give, joy is a gift. Now notice what, notice what joy is here. Notice, 
Notice, let's dissect this here and look at this. What is joy? First of all, I see joy as providential. Here is David. If you read Psalm 4, David is in a battle. He's got enemies reproaching him, enemies saying, you know, God's not going to help you anymore. A lot of nasty things that are being said against him. A lot of enemies arrayed against him. But yet in the midst of the battle, God puts a gift of joy in him. See, and it reminds me of another psalm that says, that he spreads a table before us in the presence of mine enemies. You say, oh, pastor, if I had this, if this trouble was gone, or if that trouble was gone, or if I had this and that. No, I'm telling you, right in the midst of your trouble, God can just bestow a wonderful gift of his gracious joy upon you. Even the disciples, you know, you think getting a beating wouldn't be that great of a deal. No one likes a, a good beating. But the disciples were beaten. And you would think they would say, well, you know what? This is not what I thought it was. I'm going to go get another profession. You know, uh, this is not fun anymore. You know, the crowds were here when Jesus was here and we're healing the sick and oh, great multitudes and even fed the multitudes. But now we're in prison and they've just beaten us. I think I'm going to do something else. I mean, no, that's not what they said. But in the midst of this, God spread a table before them. And listen to what Acts says. So this is after they were beaten for the testimony of Jesus. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's the name of Jesus. They were, what, what a great mindset. They were rejoicing. What a privilege it is to suffer, to take a stand for Jesus. See, God gives us joy. Joy is providential. I also look at this, and I thought, joy is powerful. What do I mean by that? I mean, joy is more powerful than any, than any physical or emotional circumstance that you and I may experience. It says in the, uh, read again in the, in the verse that J.R. read last night, it says, he gives us, he gives us, see, joy is a gift. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning. Do you realize that joy, God's joy, is stronger than depression? It's stronger than heaviness. He can help you to exchange the garment of heaviness and put on a garment of praise. His joy is stronger than discouragement, stronger than the lies of the enemy. It's stronger. Don't you know his joy is very powerful? And the joy of the Lord is your strength. But notice also, this joy is plenteous. Because it says here, it's, it, you've given it to me more, verse 7 of Psalm 4, more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. You've given it more. It's, it's abundant joy. And I thought about those rivers of living water that God wants to flow out of it. Rivers, plural, not just a river, not just a trickle, not just a stream, but I'm thinking it's an Amazon, it's a Mississippi, it's a Tigris, it's a Euphrates. It's rivers, it's an abundant river. Of Holy Spirit joy. And then I thought, I looked at this and I thought, this, this joy is planned. It says this, you have put gladness in my heart. Now in Isaiah, again, that Jared read, verse 3, to appoint, to appoint, this is King James, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to appoint to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That word appoint there means to arrange. It means to put, to place, to set, to make, or to turn unto, into. 
So in other words, God has an appointment for us. And it's not an appointment with more despair, discouragement, depression, and woe is me. But God has an appointment that when we get in his presence, he's going to give us an appointment of joy. He's going to pour joy in our soul. David said, he has put joy and gladness in my heart. So joy is a gift. And things will not bring joy. Things may bring temporary, and it's always temporary, happiness. And things are always that way. Something new that you want. And then in a, in a little while, it's just not, it doesn't have its flair anymore. Because that's the way our world is. It just it loses its flair. It lo- and then we need something else. But the Lord's joy is not like that. And Jesus is not like that. He is sweeter as the days go by. Jesus was approached by someone, and he wanted, to, wanted Jesus to settle a dispute, be an arbitrator of, of a will, I guess. And Jesus said, first of all, he says, who made me an arbiter over you? That's not, that's not what I'm going to do, Jesus said. See, a lot of people are trying to get Jesus to do a bunch of stuff that he don't want to do and ain't going to do. Bad English, but good, good theology. And Jesus, after that, said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Notice, for a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things which he possesses. And then he gave a parable of a man who was really successful, but he really wasn't successful. See, a lot of people that we say, wow, they're really successful. Well, I ask you this, by whose standards? By what measurements? Because if a man or a woman is not successful in the eyes of God, they can gain the whole world. And they really are very poor. It's only those who are rich toward God. And you know what the Bible said? The poor are rich, but they're rich in faith. And finally, this man was so successful. Read it all. You know the parable. But he said, I'm just going to build bigger barns and all of this. I'm going to rest. And he had all these plans But how many people today are planning without God? How many people trust in riches? The Bible said we're not to trust in riches. There's people that during the Great Depression, they uh, jumped out of buildings because their money was gone. And that was their God. And they jumped out of buildings and they committed suicide. I'm reading a book right now called The Boy Crisis. It's very moving, very moving. It's about young men being raised in America. Every parent should read it now. I say that, maybe they shouldn't. It's written by a secular author. And it's written by someone who was very close to Gloria Steinem, which is a feminist in the 60s. He was side by side with her, but he began to look at all the facts, and he came to a different conclusion. And the boy crisis is about the difficult time that young men have being raised in this culture. I'm telling you, there's an assault on masculinity. There's assault on boys and young and men. uh, And and, and they're sending so many different kinds of signals. And I I can tell you, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't, uh, I'm not endorsing that. I'm just telling you, I'm very moved by the book. Because you realize more boys commit suicide than than young girls. And I believe there's a reason. I believe there's a culture that's created that. Here, this man 
was saying, you know, he was just saying, I'm going to live long and I've got all these plans. But the Lord said, but, but this night your soul is going to be required of you. Things cannot make us happy. We need to lay treasure up in the presence of God. Joy is a gift that comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Quickly, number two is this. God grants joy to those who believe the gospel. God grants joy, true joy, not happiness, joy to those who believe the gospel. Remember what the angel said? He said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you a message that can really fill you with joy. It's joy. This is joyful. This is a gospel of joy. Jesus said this, these things have I spoken to you, the message that my joy may remain in you. That your joy may be full. So how does the gospel bring joy? Quickly. When we believe upon Jesus, we enter union. We enter into a spiritual union. Spiritual bondage is broken. A lot of things happen in salvation. There's an incredible miracle transaction that takes place. One is that our sins are forgiven. That's enough to praise God for a million years and more. All of our sins are forgiven. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're no better than people that have never known him. We've all sinned. But what's happened, we have discovered the grace of God. And when we come into union with Jesus, we get a new spirit, we get a new heart, we get a new mind, we get a new life, we get a new present, we get a new future. When we come into union with Jesus and all of a sudden, think about it, the moment someone gets saved, all the riches of God's grace, everything that Jesus died for becomes available to us. We become rich In the wonderful things of God. And one of those riches is joy. And it's the joy of our salvation. Salvation brings joy to the soul. Do you remember the night you got saved? There's this deep joy. It's like nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered in the world. You didn't care if another thing ever happened but you, in your life because you, the greatest thing just happened. You had come to a saving knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ and you were born again. There's a joy. There's always joy, always, that comes along with salvation. It says when Paul was in Acts 16 and he was in prison for delivering a girl from a, a demon spirit. And was beaten and him and Silas were in the stocks. And the Bible said they were singing hymns and praises to God. Acts 16, 25 I think says that. And the other prisoners were hearing them. You know people listen to us when we go through a trial. And then all of a sudden the Lord decided to join in. And creates an earthquake. And finally the, the city fathers are thinking... We have got to get rid of this guy. And so they let him go. But the jailer was going to commit suicide. 
Because he was responsible. And if he, under Roman law, if he let those prisoners go, it was life for life. He was responsible. And he would rather fall on the sword and commit suicide rather than face Jewish or Roman justice. Finally, Paul said, hey, don't harm yourself. We're here. This was the jailer. This guy wasn't nice. These folks like this are not nice. You get people that are around criminals all the time, they turn nasty. You ever notice that? Sometimes. But here's what it said. Now here's what happened to this jailer. This is Acts 16.33. And he, the jailer, took them the same hour of night. And he washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. And when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them. Notice, and he did what? He rejoiced, having believed in God and all his household. That's the best thing that could happen to a family. Turn off the TV. Turn off everything. And just get Jesus' salvation in your house, and your house will be filled with joy. In Acts 8, there was a very influential person, an Ethiopian man. Here's what it says. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Come on, that's a miracle right there. That's like a mini temporary rapture catching away. So that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. That's what salvation does. We have a salvation of joy. We have a message that can bring joy Can I tell you, drugs will not bring joy. Alcohol will not bring joy. Immorality will not bring joy. More stuff will not bring joy. This message can lead us to Jesus, the joy giver. We have a message that brings joy. Listen Listen to Romans. Therefore, Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I have a joy because there's an amazing outlook that we have. There's an amazing, I believe that God's always looking, giving us a faith picture of our future. It says that, that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen with the physical eyes, but it's a spiritual vision of our heart the Holy Spirit puts there. We have a wonderful future right here on this property. Many souls will be saved. We'll see people get healed. We'll see missionaries sent out. We'll see wonderful joy over the next decade and and, and beyond. Why? Because that's what this gospel does. It brings joy. Notice this, in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory we glory. Now, I remember this Greek word. It's doxa. I remember when I said dock. I remember a boat dock. Doxa. That means glory. Glory. We exult in this. And then we look on down to verse 11. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God. Now, this is, of course, Romans is about the doctrine of salvation. He's saying we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. This is, a, this is the joy of our salvation. There's also the joy of the fellowship. We, there should be joy in this fellowship. We should rejoice every time we come together. We get to sing and celebrate and pray for each other and believe with each other and encourage each other. The, the church is to be a fellowship of joy. 
You see the prototype. You see the blueprint that is in the book of Acts. And there was a fellowship. They were fellowshipping in the joy of God. They were fellowshipping in the grace of God. Acts 2 said this. So they continued daily. They weren't like a, a Sunday, Wednesday thing. Every day the Christians were getting together. And it said they were with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from, bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were praising God. Think what they were doing here. And then there's this joyful fellowship that we have in the gospel. Paul said this in Philippians 1.4. Always in this prayer of mine. He said, making requests for you with, with all joy. And he said, why? For, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This, we have, this is a gospel of joy. This is a fellowship of joy. We're rejoicing when new ministries are raised up. We rejoice when somebody preaches the gospel. When somebody that's never done something gets to get up and do a prayer or teach a class for the first time. Why? We're, this is a, a, pres, a place of joy. It's a fellowship of joy. Why? Because our gospel, our gospel grants joy to those who believe. Now quickly. Thirdly, joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. We know that. We have been born into a kingdom of joy. This is a new kingdom. Now, the kingdom, the American kingdom that we live in, it's kind of sad right now. People are fighting. People are disagreeing. There's people... I saw the little actor. Who was that gentleman? He played... Something, and then he was walking down the street. He's like a little guy. He's like this tall. He's like a little actor. He's like in his 60s. He's like very young. 60s, you know, very young. And uh, I mean, the closer you get there, you go, that's so young. But somebody just punched him, knocked him out. I think it was kind of a racial thing, and there's all that going on. But you know, the kingdom we're in is a kingdom of joy. Here's what it says about this kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking... But righteousness, true righteousness, and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This kingdom we've been born into is a kingdom of joy. And joy is a fruit. That means this. It's a result. It's, it's, it's a product. It's a produce of something. The result, listen, the result of this, let me say it this way. The result of the Spirit's activity in our lives are this, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. But notice this, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's a result of the power and the presence of God in our lives. Psalmist said this, in your presence is fullness of joy. And this, listen, this Holy Spirit joy is what enables us to stay in the fight. When you're in the battle, it's the joy that gives you the endurance. But it's not happiness, it's joy. Happiness is a surface circumstance based on circumstance. Joy is like the deep roots that go way, way, way down into the soil. And the leaves may blow and the limbs may, may twist and turn in the wind. But we're down deep in the joy of the Lord. And here's what the word of God says. May, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope. 
You're believing and you're continuing to believe. You're continuing to trust God. You're continuing to hope in your God. How are you doing it? You're abounding. You're filled with this joy and this constancy. Joy creates that constancy. Colossians says it this way, that you may walk worthy in the Lord. We want to walk. How do we want to walk? We don't want it sporadic and up and down all around. And then it says this in verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering. How? With joy. With joy. This constant, this constant walk. Number four, quickly. Joy is experienced by believers when they, when they receive the, when they receive and obey God's word. This is a non-negotiable if you want joy. Here's what Jeremiah said. Your words are found, were found. I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jeremiah said, I found the word of God. I ate it. I digested it. I, I, I took it into my life. And it was like the joy, the rejoicing of my heart. John says it this way. These things I write to you that your joy may be full. These, Jesus said that too in John. But here in 1 John 4, 1, 4. These things I write to you that your joy may be full. I write these things to you that you can get on a pathway of joy. What's the pathway of joy? The pathway of joy for the Christian is the pathway of obedience. Now let me say this to you. Being a pastor a long time, I can tell you. The reason for most of the joylessness in Christians' lives is disobedience. I realized one time, I was praying for the same folks over and over and over again, every, every, other, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. And, there was, and I realized, I cannot pray away their disobedience. I can't pray away someone's grieving of the Holy Spirit. What, what do you mean? I, meant, I mean this. I meant half-hearted commitments. The most miserable people in the world are, are people that got their, their one foot in the church and one foot in the world. It's like a half-hearted commitment. The, the Bible says this. Put on the full armor, every piece of armor. And a lot of Christians, they got you know, like one or two pieces on and they're, they're getting pummeled and beat up by the devil and they're losing. Why? They don't, have all, they don't have all the armor on. They don't have that whole commitment to God. Half-hearted commitments. Compromise with the world. You want the joy of the Lord? Well, you can't be a friend of the world. Be a friend of sinners, of course. But a friend of the world. A friend of its principles. A friend of its activities. A friend of its spirit. He said if you're a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. We, be, we, become, we become adversarial toward God. Walking in darkness. God never walks in darkness. He never walks in the darkness. Look at this. This is, let me read this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. These things are right to you that your joy may be full. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from, from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Look at this. If we say, if we say, a lot of people say a lot of stuff. If we say that we have fellowship with him, oh, I, I just have such a re wonderful relationship with him, Pastor. And walk in darkness, liar, liar, pants on fire. Come on. No, I added that part. You understand. 
We lie and we do not practice the truth. God's not going to, when we walk in darkness, we walk away. Because God is always in the truth. He's always in the light. He's always in the righteousness. So if God's in righteousness, God's in light, God's in truth, that's where you got to walk to keep the joy. If you walk in the darkness, you lose the joy. I write these things to you that you may, that your joy may be full. And look at this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Oh, there it is. Come on, say amen. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We're walking in that continual cleansing and that continual closeness and that continual flow of the Holy Spirit. We're abiding in him. He's abiding in him, in us. We're living in his presence. Remember what, remember what uh, Psalm 16 said? In his presence is fullness of joy. So joy is in the light. Let's walk in the light. I've met so many Christians Never happy, and I realize they have disobedience in their life. They may be masking it. They are not blind to it, though. I'm telling you, we know when we've done wrong because God lets us know. And you know what? If we'll get that sin right, God will be merciful. We can get back in the light, get back in the, the joy lane. Come on, joy lane on the joy thoroughfare. Somebody shout amen. amen. Here's what Jeremiah said. My people committed two evils. My people. We're talking about church folks here. My people committed two evils. What have they done? They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's where the joy is. And what have they done? And they have hewn for themselves. They went their own way. Cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, here's the, here's the, here's the point. When a believer walks outside the will of God, he invites sadness into his life. Where you are outside the will of God, where you're outside the will of God, you invite, you're saying sadness come in. Because the only place of true joy is what Jesus said. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. My meat is my sustenance. It's what I live for. That's where joy is. Quickly, number five. This is, now this is strange. But a Christian's joy is deepened through trials. We see trials differently. This is strange to the world. The world looks on us and says, you Christians are so strange. Do you, you understand? Joy can increase during troubled times. And the world looks in on us where they know they would be falling apart. And we're rejoicing in the Lord. It can actually increase. Here's what Paul said in Thessalonians. And, and you become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of God. In much affliction and with joy in the Holy Spirit. James, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What a strange th theology. But it's the theology, the biblical theology of joy. Now, almost done. Peter said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are grieved with various trials. You greatly rejoice. Why? Because... Often the Lord does a supernatural 
deepening work of joy. You can't explain it. I've heard people talk about this. They said, Pastor, during this time when I should have been falling apart, I cannot explain it. The Lord stepped in and sustained me with his joy and with his peace. We serve a supernatural God that can give us joy. That will even go beyond our own understanding. But see, that's the God we serve. Lastly, a Christian, a believer's joy is complete when we get our, our, our hope set on the glories of heaven. Paul said it this way, rejoicing in hope. Hope always has to do with the future in Scripture. The, a, hel- a helmet of salvation is the future hope of final salvation. What is it? It's looking beyond this life. Beyond this sinful world. You know, I'll go home tonight and I'll watch the debate that just that started when just 15 minutes ago. And it'll be the same old, same old. It'll be the same kind of depressing stuff. But that's not my hope. I was not some kind of politics. I'm rejoicing in hope. Peter said it this way, in having whom having not seen, you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. Though you don't see him now, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible joy. Or joy inexpressible, full of glory. And then last verse. Jude says this. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Listen, this is not a time to stumble. You better watch your heart. You better watch your soul. I heard a pastor recently, who another, another pastor committed suicide in Tennessee. I was like, what happened? This man wasn't a novice. This was a seasoned, seasoned pastor. What happened in his heart? What happened in his mind? I believe God can keep us from stumbling. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. He's able to keep us from stumbling. Notice, and present present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Oh, when we get there, it's going Listen, I'm not going to be floating around playing a harp. I don't even like a harp. I want to be active. I'm happiest when I'm active. I get up at 4 almost every morning of my life. I was in my study at 4 o'clock this morning. I went to bed last night. And I went to bed and I thought, oh, I wish I wasn't tired because now I've got to sleep for this long. But I want to get up because I'm so happy to read my Bible. I'm so happy. And I got up at four and I got my coffee and I started working on Sunday's message. And then I started working on tonight's message and I started making some phone calls. Why? Because I realized serving the Lord is joyous. Nobody's making me do this. This is joy. This is a fellowship of joy. Why don't we just stand and let's ask the Lord at the conclusion of this service. Let's ask the Lord 
to fill us with his joy. Could we do that just for a moment? Let's ask the Lord. David said he put his gladness in my heart. I know we go through sad seasons. I realize that. We've all had sad seasons. And we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. Life is a mixture. We know that. But it doesn't steal our joy. It doesn't rob us of our salvation. We're secure in the Lord. We're secure. Amen. He's able to keep us. He loves us. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to smile. You, you, we've all been through seasons of depression or discouragement, whether momentary or maybe more lengthy, or maybe you have the type of personality that is more susceptible to that. I realize that's the case sometimes. But I, I, I believe that God is greater than our personality. He's greater than our sorrows. He's able to fill us with joy. Now, remember this before we pray. Joy is not about happenings and circumstances. Listen, I would hope that as Christians, that if we, somebody sent us a million dollars tomorrow, that we would not be one more, one more bit happy or joyous than we are right now. Because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And he has us. And I want you and I to have joy. Our joy is in him. So let's pray. Father, tonight, thank you that you've given us this teaching of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, we get weak and spiritually anemic. And our spiritual immune system, in a sense, gets weakened when we're filled with worry, anxiety, and stress, despair, and discouragement. But Lord, we, we know that you got it all in your hands. Just like David in the battle, you said that providential joy, that moment of appointment. You had an appointment in the middle of the battle. You're going to spread a table before him. And so, Lord, tonight, I pray that you'd spread a table. Joy. Come on, lift your hands right now. Just joy. God, give us joy. Ask him. Give us joy. Fill me with joy. Fill me with the spirit of joy. Your joy is stronger than the discouragement. It's stronger than depression. The joy is going to give you strength. Holy Spirit, joy and rejoicing. Just like the apostles were beaten, but yet they rejoice that they were counted worthy. We need to rejoice that we get to serve the Lord. Rejoicing in the fellowship of worship. Rejoicing in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you just, just release your prayer language right now. Just release your prayer. We're in a prayer time right now. It's appropriate. It's fine. Release. Just pray in your prayer language right there. Stir up that gift. Hallelujah. Stir up that gift. That reservoir of joy. Get your mind off of what someone said, someone did, what you don't have, your disappointment. Get your mind off that. Get it upon Jesus. And love Him just because of Him. Serve Him just because of who He is. Thank you for this joy. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. When the King is at residence there. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
I feel that joy tonight. I really do. I feel that joy. And I'm trusting that we're going to feel it and sense it Sunday morning. We're going to experience it Sunday morning as we come together. And looking forward to a wonderful, wonderful day in the Lord. Father, tonight, your word has filled us with peace and confidence. We ask God that those in this sanctuary, those that are online or will watch this, that they'll realize that it's the enemy's plan that we live in a sense of hopelessness, discouragement. Discouragement has taken out many a child of God, taken them out of the service of the Lord, taken out many a pastor that just got discouraged. They just got discouraged, and there was no one to be helpers of their joy. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would not be a a tool of discouragement, but Lord, that we would be helpers of each other's joy. Let us be instruments of joy. Hallelujah. The enemy will discourage you any way that he can. When when you get ahead of the Lord and you try you start trying to figure things out in your own human thinking, you set yourself up for discouragement. Because you're creating your plans. But it's in His presence. It's in His plans. It's in His purpose where joy is found. So Lord, help us to walk in your joy. To walk in your obedience. To walk in lockstep with you. And tonight I just take authority over depression. Every demonic spirit that would bring depression... And we believe there is a spirit of heaviness that gets upon people. We take authority over that in the name of Jesus. And we stand in the victory that you purchased at Calvary. And we declare that the enemy is completely defeated by the blood of Christ. And I believe that there's rivers of joy coming to each of you. Rivers of joy. Rivers of rejoicing. Rivers of celebration. You're going to get a garment of praise in place of, instead of, the garment of heaviness. And when the enemy comes in to bring, and it starts with depressing thoughts, it starts with depressing negative thoughts. And the enemy sows those fiery darts into your thinking. Don't believe the enemy's lies. Be like Jeremiah who found the Word of God. He ate it and it was the rejoicing of his heart. You've got you to keep your heart warm. You've got to keep your mind fertile in the Word of God. And as you sow the seeds of the Word of God, it produces joy. So thank you, Father. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, may it fill us with great joy and grace. Continue to build the church. Continue, Lord, to let us see new families. Thank you, Lord. We're believing that maybe tomorrow we'll get a word from our our city. We pray for them. We bless our city leaders, our mayor and all. But we pray for our uh, engineers down there that are making decisions on these plans. And we are ready to move forward. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each of you.